Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I just wanted to do a podcast on this topic because I think everyone can relate to it. And the topic will be the idea of grittiness in the horse world. So for those of you who are hearing that descriptor and not knowing what I mean, once I start to talk about it, I can almost guarantee you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, So we'll get into that pretty fast. I just wanted to give a little update on Milo. For those of you who are wondering, I dropped him off for his MRI this morning today. He loaded excellently despite the fact that he's not really trailered anywhere since like last year. So he was really great. It was easy morning getting him there and dropping him off and now he's just there. Uh, He's supposed to be getting the MRI today and I will probably get some idea of what's going on by tomorrow or the following day. Sometimes they do send a preliminary report same day, but it really depends on when he actually goes in to have it done. And if it's something that they feel comfortable giving me a preliminary report on before a radiologist sees it. So... Uh, I don't really know when one will know, um, but when I know, I'll update people accordingly. It just might take me a minute uh, to process it and kind of sort out plans depending on what we find. So hopefully it's not anything too serious, knock on wood. Um, And yeah, hopefully it's just a nice and easy little thing for him. He does have to stay overnight there, which is less fun for him because obviously he likes being with his friends and he's used to being out full time, but he's a really good boy and he adapts quite well. So I'm hoping he'll behave himself and that everything will go nice and easy and smoothly as possible so that it's less stressful for him. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of the update on that. I'm still doing the 10% off sale with code Milo at checkout at my merch store, shopmilestoneequestrian.com, as well as on the milestone products on the amoreequestrian.ca website, A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca. And then if you go to the milestone page, that's where all my stuff is. So that's just to kind of help move inventory so that we can pay for the MRI and also allocate some funds towards Harlow's vet bills that I had to pay off and then also the additional vet bills potentially for Milo's treatment and if he does need to go in for the arthroscopy for his stifle. That all really depends on how this MRI goes because if he has like a fairly significant problem in the foot, there's no point in putting him under general so soon after. So it'll be something where like if he needs to rest anyways um, to heal an injury, there's not really a point in doing an invasive surgery uh, when he could potentially rest both of them and hopefully address both. But we'll see. Like, it it really depends on what we find and the vet's recommendation because, honestly, like, that's what I'm going to go off of. I really trust my vet and I trust the people that they refer to for second opinions and whatnot. So uh, I'm going to just kind of go with what they think is the best course of action in accordance like with my budget and what's best for Milo and just kind of how to proceed with that. So yeah, we'll know when we know and that's the update. If you're interested in um, helping support that endeavor at all, I'm just trying to move my products because a lot of my money is in product right now because you have to do big orders up front when you're running a business and like exporting goods. Um, or importing goods, I should say. So yeah, it requires a lot of cash up front. So a lot of my money is in inventory right now, which is why I'm just trying to get it moved. And we've had some unfortunate delays that have slowed things down and added stress because I was supposed to have a bridal restocking here by now. And if that was here, I would have been um, doing really well in terms of having money out of the inventory to put towards this more easily, but it's late. So, uh, that should be here within the next week. And then we're going to have a bridal restocking as well. Uh, so 
So yeah, I highly recommend checking that out when it comes. I'll announce a day when that's happening, but uh, I've released a bunch of new riding apparel stuff. So I've released two new short sleeve riding shirts that are really nice for the summer. Super cool, sweat wicking, comfortable, stretchy fabric, and they're stylish. You could show in them if you want to. Um, and then I also have two base layer colors that I've released as well. And same thing, really nice, comfortable material, uh, sweat wicking, breathable, and just, yeah, nice to have around a good athletic shirt that you can wear to the barn or anywhere, really. Um, and I try to make prices affordable so that it's accessible to everyone and price them under, like, the going rates for a lot of horse products in the community because I know how pricey things get. So I try to make them affordably priced. Like, the base layers run, like, $50 US, basically, which is, like, 65 Canadian. Um, and the other shirts as well are priced quite low. So you can check those out and you can get an extra 10% off with code Milo at checkout. So highly recommend checking that out. I also have Patreon if anyone's interested in additional training help behind the scenes stuff. Like you, I post some stuff for product development so patrons will know like what I'm developing and like what stuff's coming out next first. Um, so they get the behind the scenes stuff like that. And then there's access to tutorials and training help depending on which tiers you choose. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month and it just helps support the podcast and like the expenses associated with running the YouTube channel, running the website, running the podcast site and all that jazz just to kind of help support it because the podcast doesn't really actually make any money because I don't really put ads on it very often. Um, so most of the money from the podcast just comes from like my personal advertising and directing people to other pages. So if you're interested in supporting, you can go to my Patreon. Um, it's patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, you can subscribe there to support. I also have a PayPal tip jar if you'd prefer to do like a one-time payment rather than a uh, subscription. And you can do that via paypal.me, paypal.me slash milestone equestrian. No spaces. So yeah, check that out. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast or anything else, those are the best ways to do it. You can also help support by like sharing the podcast, sharing my posts, the YouTube videos, all that stuff. Just like getting the word out there really helps. Uh, and that's great. So yeah, we're in like the stressful beginning stages of creating this business. And then also like obviously the fat stuff I've been dealing with has been stressful. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I'm really behind on a lot of things. And there's like some video ideas that I've had that I've been wanting to do for a while that I just haven't gotten around to. So it's been hectic, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to get all that stuff done soon. And it'll start kind of quieting down a little bit soon. Um, and things will get a bit easier. So that's my hope. And I'm hoping that I get goodish news from the MRI. Like I say ish because like we already know that there's an issue. So it's kind of like the odds of it being like good news in terms of, oh yeah, he's totally fine. That wouldn't really be good news because if they found nothing, then it's like, okay, what the hell is going on then? Um, so yeah, like hopefully it'll be good news in terms of like the prognosis for it. And, um, yeah, so I'm nervous about that and it's stressful and, um, difficult to deal with, but I'm keeping on keeping on. So yeah. Anyways, today's podcast topic is grittiness in the horse world. What do I mean by grittiness? Grittiness is the whole idea of like that entire mindset of when you fall off, you need to get right back up on the horse. And like that terminology in itself isn't necessarily a problem in itself, depending on how it's applied. But the problem with the whole gritty mindset in the horse world is that we glorify the idea of being strong and like getting on dangerous horses and getting 
running on and riding through injuries and soreness and all sorts of things to such a point where people will like say with pride, like, oh yeah, like I concussed myself two days ago and now I'm back riding or like riding with like a broken arm in a cast and stuff and just like being proud about it. Or even just the idea that it's like, you're not a real rider until you fall off or you're not a real rider until you fall off this many times and so on and so forth. Because all of those mindsets are completely rooted in the idea that you need to be in a dangerous situation to be a real equestrian and that that somehow makes you a better rider overall and it also encourages people to ride through injury it encourages people to get on horses again immediately after falling even if they're hurt or not in a mental space uh, mental place where it's productive or if the horse is not in a mental place where it's productive or if the horse is hurt and needs a break and so on and so forth it really like it's just, it's just all rooted in pressuring people to feel like they need to prove their worth as an equestrian by doing dangerous things and like that's something to be proud of and I find it really concerning because like especially with head injuries like when you're encouraging people to get on right away no matter what and basically saying that like they're not a real rider if they don't or that there's something to be ashamed of if they don't get right on after a fall or that they're too nervous or that it'll cause other problems if they don't get right back on and it's like to the point where even like instructors will guilt trip kids into getting back on their horses because that happened to me a bunch of times where I was basically told that like I wasn't going to be a good rider if I didn't get back on the horse right after a fall and that if I didn't get back on, I'd be scared to ever get back on and just really kind of catastrophizing everything to the point where it's like, oh no, I just have to do this. And so like, that's how I grew up riding personally is like, if I fell off, I was expected to get right back on no matter what. And like, as a child, like I was a little bit more of an unusual child as far as young riders go in that, like I wasn't ever really afraid of horses or their size or anything like that. So for me, mentally, it was easier to get right back on after but I do remember some falls that I had when I was like eight where I was really sore and I was in a lot of pain and I was scared and I like getting back on didn't really serve me or the horse very well and I just got back on to sit there and walk around because I was too sore to really do anything um and I fell pretty hard and I wouldn't have been wearing a vest and I fell on like gravel and I got the wind knocked out of me because I remember I couldn't breathe and I was really scared and yeah, I got back on in that case. And like, again, like I didn't do anything particularly dangerous. It's not like I went riding around a ton, but like even the fact that I felt like I had to get back on in that situation to be a real rider is an indicator of a problem because I could have had a back injury for all I knew. Um, and like I didn't because I did go to the doctor after like I ended up being okay. But, like, for all I knew, I could have had a back injury or other types of injuries or even just the fact that, like, my horse wasn't in a headspace where it was even remotely productive to do so. It was something I could have addressed on another day. But I felt the need to get back on. And this has happened a few times, like, especially getting older. There's been times where I've been thrown really badly because the horses have been dangerous and they've been in a state of mind where they are not safe. And I have put myself in situations that were foolish and not about keeping myself safe. And then I've fallen off and gotten right back on too. Like there's been a lot of things that I've done that I know like in my heart of hearts are not 
good ideas in terms of like longevity and taking care of my body and myself. And it's all rooted in the idea that there's like a certain level of pride in like how gritty you are and how strong you are and how brave you are as a rider and like how crazy the horses you're willing to get on. Like there's this huge source of pride that so many equestrians get from bragging about how like difficult their horse is to ride, like how many rank horses they get on that bronc and like the whole idea with like starting horses, there's like an entire demographic of people who post these videos of horses absolutely exploding during their first rides or first times being saddled and going off like bronc horses. And there's a certain level of pride associated with that as well. And it's super, super weird to me because these people view it as like some type of badge of honor to have really reactive, frightened horses who are reacting heavily to things in a way that indicates they weren't properly prepared. And it's used to be like, oh yeah, like I just get in way more difficult horses. Like you're not a real trainer if you've never had to deal with these types of reactions and it's used to basically like delegitimize any trainer who trains in a way that induces less stress and therefore is in less danger because of that because it's used with the mindset of like oh if you're not causing these problems and not having these reactions it's simply because your horses are easier not because you're doing a better job with them and that your training is less stressful so in turn this like feeds into a mindset that encourages and perpetuates a lot of the training issues and welfare issues we see in the horse world because it's entirely surrounded um, it's entirely surrounding the idea of like promoting the dangerous horse as like a badge of honor for how great of a rider you are when honestly like the amount of like unsafe situations that you put yourself in as like a rider and trainer is generally more of an indicator of like your experience level and your ability to train in a way that is safe and avoids those situations in the first place um, but people don't view it as that they view it as like the horse is going to react anyways there's no way you could prevent this and the only reason that I experience these problems more than the average person is because I'm a better rider and I'm getting harder horses. And the, the crappy thing about this too is it it fails to consider the horse in the equation because people are just so concerned about flexing their ability to like stick a buck and ride a rank horse and um, show off like how good their seat is and how well they can stay on. And because of that, like the, the videos and photos that people post of these situations get way more views, like speaking from experience, because like Milo's spooking and bucking videos and the videos of him being difficult were the ones that consistently got the most views. And people were like complimenting me for how good my seat was and that further reinforces it but those were the videos that got the most views not the ones where he's actually showing signs of being like a well-developed happy horse who is like safe to ride it's the ones where he's being the most difficult and like categorically like for any video that's generally speaking the videos that get the most views with the exception of videos that are just inherently exciting where you're like oh I'm jumping this big jump or doing some new exciting thing with these horses it's usually the ones of horses being difficult and dangerous that get the most views and it's because of this gritty mindset, in my opinion. It's the mindset that, like, being a real rider is about being, in like, endangering yourself when realistically, like, being a good rider should be, like, staying on the horse and avoiding situations where you're in danger of falling off or in danger of having the horse blow up and potentially injure you. Like, that should be the 
like what we view as like a positive as a rider. It shouldn't be how many dangerous situations can you put yourself in and survive and then brag about. And like, honestly, I've been in a lot of dangerous situations. I have injuries and sorenesses that I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't forced myself to ride through injuries. And it's not even about getting right back on after you fall off. Like even in the days after riding when you're sore and your body should be healing, like feeling the need to immediately get back on. And, like, my situation now is, like, a little bit different from the standpoint of, like, when I was first starting training, there were definitely more situations where I would get on and I would ride through injuries because I needed to work. It was less about being gritty and more about, like, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose money. So, like, I've ridden with a broken hand, for example, and, like, I'm well aware of the fact that that's not a good idea. I talked to the doctor about it. They advised me to take a certain amount of time off. I said that I couldn't and asked them what I could do to mitigate the risk and I got like a hand brace to gallop in and I requested easier horses and had like the other gallop rider get on ones that are more likely to injure me but it was still more risky and I jammed my hand a few times and it was really sore so it sucked and if I didn't need to work I would have happily taken the time off from riding um but since it is like my job and like that was like how I was getting paid there were definitely more situations for myself where I would ride through injuries that like were not safe or good uh but a lot of riders are not in that position it's like it's like they're sheer they're, they're solely being peer pressured into doing something by their trainer and like the situation they're in not because they like not because it's out of any specific financial need or anything like that and that's the problem that I see with this whole thing because it's like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if we teach people to value grittiness and bravery and being put in dangerous situations and like showing off how difficult your horses are and teaching them that that's like the creme de la creme of like best horsemanship, then we're having people value all of those things. So when they see reactive horses that a rider is handling and like staying on, instead of seeing a horse who's like over threshold and reacting due to being overstimulated and stressed and anxious they're seeing a rider who is able to stay on and manage like a quote-unquote crazy horse and stay on and do so in an effective way because they're not falling off uh and instead of idolizing that like we should really be idolizing the idea of trainers that prepare horses in such a way that they have these things coming up less frequently and this isn't to shame people who have horses who react because like even as I've developed my training methods more and softened and become more conscious of how I upset horses and how I led myself into a lot of the those big explosions that I've like posted online and whatnot um even as I do all of that I still run the risk of potentially having flight behaviors occur due to things outside of my control. Like, for example, when you're introducing something to a horse that they are nervous of, even if you go at a rate that is within their threshold, if something else in the environment happens that is super loud and scary, it can quickly send them over threshold and then you can get a reaction. So you can't completely avoid flight reactions with flight animals. So it's not about shaming people and being like, oh, if you ever have a flight reaction or explosive behavior in a horse, you should be ashamed of yourself and you're not a real equestrian. No, that's not what it is. It's about the idea that, like, like, we should be giving more 
respect to people who are working to avoid those things and create like a more harmonious relationship with the horse that is about like actually having a relaxed horse and those are the things that we should place the most value in so it's not about writing trainers off if they have bad reactions but it's about viewing those reactions as something that isn't ideal and something that you should be training to try to avoid as much as possible for safety purposes for you and your horse and also for the welfare of the horse like we should be avoiding these high stress situations as much as possible especially since we now know that it is possible to significantly reduce stress in horses based off of how we manage them and how we train them. Like there is a lot of research out there that's showing us exactly what the most effective means of handling and training horses without inducing high levels of stress are. So we have access to all these resources to know that. And despite that, we're valuing a lot of things that are indicators of poor welfare. And again, like a flight reaction in itself, like even if your horse bronks off on you because they're overstimulated and they just need to release movement, um, that's not necessarily something to be ashamed of. But like the idea that it's this big unavoidable thing that can't be fixed or can't be overridden by certain forms of training or the idea that like you're a better rider because you're on horses that are reacting that way is something that we need to throw out the window because it takes away credibility from people who train in such a way that they have consistently quiet horses who are really well adjusted like um with starting horses under saddle, like, even as I've softened my methods, like, I've not really had, even when I was using mostly pressure and release and training in a way higher stress manner, I've not had most of these huge reactions when starting horses that you see on, like, TikTok. Like, I think one of the worst ones I've ever had is actually up on my YouTube channel, and it was when I was starting a client's horse, and we were riding around and everything was going fine, but then a branch skimmed across my helmet and made a sound, and then she took off, like, bolting and was afraid, and the saddle slid because it wasn't properly fitted to her. She needed more of a half pad and a non-slip pad, um, so it slid to the side. I got her pulled up. It didn't, like, I didn't fall off, and it wasn't an overly exciting thing. Um, that's probably the worst experience I've had when starting horses, uh, especially like the beginning stages where you're just getting them used to a rider. And that one wasn't that severe. But again, like I would be foolish to look at a situation like that and go, oh, this couldn't have been avoided. Like I could have avoided that by listening to more signs that the horse is telling me that they're already uneasy because the branch is a scary thing, especially when they're not used to having someone above them. So that noise that it made on my helmet does totally make sense. And perhaps it would have sent the horse over threshold anyways. But if I'd prepared the horse a little bit better, gotten on and off more, and been more conscious of the environment, I probably could have avoided that thing from happening too. So I don't view situations like that as a source of pride. Um, and even with like Milo's bucking and stuff, like yeah, I can sit through some pretty ridiculous antics that horses do, but like I'm at a point now in my life where it's like just because I can doesn't mean I should. And I would prefer to avoid those things, like for the horse's well-being, but also for me, because we need to remember that even when you're not falling off, you could be damaging your body. Like the wear and tear from like slamming back down on the saddle or getting jolted and thrown around by a horse, the wear and tear like on your back and your joints is still there. It could still cause injury. It could still wear your joints over time and lead you to developing issues earlier than you should. So you don't need to fall off to get injured. You can get injured from anything, like even when you stay in the tack and you have a good seat. Uh, so for me, it's just kind of like, 
yeah, those types of videos get way more views and you get way more attention. And from the types of people who currently disrespect me and my expertise, they would probably respect me more if I was posting more of those videos of me handling horses who are perceived as more dangerous. Um, but here's the thing. I'm still handling those types of horses. If anything, the horses that I get now are more dangerous than like any other horses I've had because I get horses who have more severe behavioral issues because they're the ones I'm more likely to get sent because their owners exhaust other forms of training and other methods that are more popular before they decide to go like the positive reinforcement route and go like send them to like a behavior specialist. So I get horses who are more dangerous than ones that I've had before because I wouldn't have been qualified to work with the really dangerous ones um, prior to doing more of my behavior study and learning in the ways that I have. So if anything, the horses I work with are more dangerous now than the, they were before, but I'm having less reactions than ever because I'm doing a better job at keeping them below threshold and training them within a means of relaxation and, like, really trying to promote that because, like, if I incite a flight reaction in a horse, it's actually setting me back in training. So it's not something that I want. Uh, it's something that I would prefer to avoid. And again, they're flight animals. So like when you're riding, like you can't always prevent something from sp startling your horse and having them jump to the side. Like horses still spook. When Banksy was at the Shauna clinic and I was first bringing him out of the paddock he was in, there was this pipe that was draining water. So it was quite loud. It sounded like a rushing creek. Um, and when we were like walking up, it surprised him and he startled and he popped a little wheelie, like a rear, and then just came right back to me and settled and walked away with me. So it's like, yes, he temporarily went over threshold. Um, and in hindsight, I, again, that's something that I might have been able to avoid if I'd noticed him looking at the thing first, or if I'd noticed that he wasn't noticing it was there, I could have shown it to him so that he would have been more prepared uh, and not had not have it surprise him. So in theory, it's something that I could probably avoid. But in reality, it's not always realistic to expect someone to consider all of those things in the moment and think about it in a way that they can in hindsight, because hindsight is twenty twenty vision. So like you can see way more when you're looking back at the whole picture after or something has already happened than you can during the situation. But with that said, like when you have the whole picture, I think it's irresponsible as a rider or a trainer to just think that there's no way that you could have possibly avoided that or there's no ways that you could handle things better in the future to try to avoid certain things. Um, and I think it's a huge problem that we've created this mindset that like humans are just helpless to help their horses and that some horses are just crazy and that some horses just need way harsher equipment than others to be handled safely and that there's no way of addressing it or fixing them. And it lets people off the hook and it puts all of the blame on the horse and just kind of makes it out to be like, oh, horses are just like this. They just like to react this way sometimes. Oh, they're just being silly. They're just doing this. They're just doing that. And it, it, it causes people to hold themselves less accountable, which I really don't like, uh, and it gives them an easier means of just being like, oh, I'm helpless in this situation. There's no way I can change this to be better for the horse, and anyone who tells me otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about because clearly they've not worked with as dangerous horses as I have. And I've also noticed this grittiness mindset even extend into equipment use. And what I mean by this is, like, the notion that, like, the harsher equipment you use or the more, like, like nuanced, I guess, like equipment that serves the purpose of 
making the horse do something faster and it's harsher. There's this idea that goes along with it that if you can ride in a harsher bit that your hands are just like softer than everyone else's and you're just a quieter, better rider so that you can do it without hurting your horse. But other people can't, but you're the creme de la creme of hands and you can never screw it up and you're a better rider because of the harsh bit that you ride in. I used to think this, I used to feel this way because my trainer, when I would get harsher bits, they'd be like, oh, this is a more advanced bit. I only let my advanced students ride in this. Uh, you're being allowed to ride in this because you have really soft, good hands. But like in reality at the time, no, my hands weren't that great. I hadn't been taught how to have soft hands. And even with soft hands, a bit like a thin twisted wire at rest in the horse's mouth is still going to be uncomfortable. So it's weird to me that, like, this notion, like, of having, like, the difficult horse and being, like, a gritty, bold, brave rider extends into equipment use to the point where people use it to justify inherently aversive equipment that is really harsh and serves the purpose of leveraging discomfort in order to control the horse. And people being able to kind of take that and be like, oh, I, I'm able to do this simply because I'm a better, quieter, more well-rounded rider than everyone else and it's not hurting my horse. Again, it's all about letting yourself off the hook and blaming the horse and kind of framing the mindset as I'm helpless in this position. This is just the way horses are. None of this is my fault and there's no way I could have avoided any of this by adapting my training and management practices. And it's not fair to the horse because the horses are voiceless. They can't speak up. They can't say, hey, this is hurting me. And when they do try to say that in the ways that they can, they're ignored or they're punished. Like, for example, when horses are bucking or spooking or bolting, they'll be punished for it or they'll be asked to just go right back to what they're doing and it's not necessarily perceived as a pain response. Or even for horses that don't react, their subtle signs of pain in their face are commonly ignored because a lot of people don't know how to read them. They're so used to seeing chronically stressed horses or horses in pain that they don't notice. So when we have people that aren't going out of their way to listen to the very animals that will tell them when they're in pain, it's an even bigger problem when they're letting themselves off the hook even further by being like, oh, like, I can do this because I'm just so much better than everyone and my hands are softer and this and that. Because uh, that's not the case. And also, like, I'm of the mind now, like, I used to subscribe to the mindset that, like, the harsher equipment you could ride in without, like, completely chopping up your horse's mouth was an indicator of being a more well-rounded rider. But in my opinion now, like the best riders are the ones who need the least amounts of equipment because it shows that they have the capability to train a lot of different horses who have different personalities, different backgrounds, different training levels to all go in soft equipment. Like it's not just people getting easy horses when you have people who have barns full of horses coming in from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different disciplines, all sorts of different issues that they're having in training and still are able to keep them in soft equipment. Like, that is just a choice. It's not the result of the person taking on less difficult horses. It's them choosing a different path. And having it be framed as, like, anything else than that, it, it serves to only justify harshness and take all the people off the hook who use harsh methods and then frame it as, like, anyone who goes the softer route is just, like, less educated and less good at their job or has easier horses. So, it's like a really weird double-edged sword that serves the purpose of letting people off the hook for not necessarily listening to their horses the best or taking the easy way out where they'll use equipment that is uncomfortable to the horse 
and use that to kind of, in place of actually like training the horse and addressing like whatever issue they're having with the horse because you don't choose to use harsher equipment or like throw on draw reins or bit up because your horse is being perfect. If they were perfect from the get-go, you'd have no need to change from the softest equipment that you start with. Like the entire motivation behind people using the harsher types of equipment is the desire to move along faster. And that sort of impatience is an indicator of a lack of experience in my opinion because like when I had the most impatience and I was the most compelled to use like any gadget in the book or any bit in the book it was like within situations where it's like I'd have a bad ride on my horse and I'd go oh like I'm so frustrated with their behavior and what they're doing I'm just gonna try a bunch of new bits because switching the bit will solve this problem because that's what I'd been taught by so many people it's like oh have you tried a different bit have you tried this gadget or that gadget it's, it's all about how can you force the horse to do what you want faster it's not about how can we actually address why whatever that like why this unwanted behavior is existing so when I was the most compelled to take the easy way out it was when I was the least experienced and I knew the least but at that point I thought that I knew the most I thought that I knew what I was doing and I thought that I was making educated decisions with my equipment I thought that I knew how the equipment was working but I was ignorant I didn't know what was going on and Again, that whole mindset was created and perpetuated by my influences in training and what they told me to do and how they told me to work with horses. It was something that was created by that and not something that I just like came into the horse world having because I came into the horse world thinking that I knew nothing and I was slowly brought to that point by role models deliberately encouraging that behavior again and again. So it's something to consider because it's the result of like how you've been brought up in the horse world and how people have trained you to do things. So it can be really, really hard to address and actually be honest with yourself about the motivations behind certain things that you do in training or with your horse. But I think it's a necessary thing for people to do is consider the biases that you may have been taught without even realizing that you're being taught them because everyone has them. We all have biases that we've learned along the ways that are not true and that we've taken with us for life and we've just assumed are accurate because we trusted the person the information came from. And this is going along the lines of like, I ta I've talked about this issue extensively in the last few podcasts and this is kind of just like an add-on to that because it's spe specifically talking about like grittiness and endangering yourself and like just the entire glorification of riding horses who are really stressed. And we know, like, in studies, they've linked stress to being, like, one of the huge major factors in rider injury. Like, we know the more stressed a horse is, the more dangerous they are. So, if anything, that's more of a reason to start to do away with this mindset and being honest with ourselves about why it exists in the first place because we know that it is endangering people. We know that this is endangering riders and causing them to become injured or, in worst cases, die and so why are we continuing this mindset when it's so dangerous and it's just encouraging impressionable people, a lot of which are kids, to take risks that are unnecessary? Like, I did not know, I, I didn't have the foresight to actually properly understand what risks I was taking when I took them with my horses when I was younger. So I couldn't make an educated decision. My ability to do so was reliant on older people and role models showing me how to make the right decisions and they didn't do that. So 
It led me to putting myself in a lot of dangerous situations, and I'm really lucky that I came out with the, came out of them as easily as I did because there is a lot of situations where it could have gone a lot worse, and it was di directly because of what I'd been taught growing up and how I'd been taught to ignore signs of stress and certain signals of pain and how I'd been taught that the solution to a lot of problems was just trying new equipment until you could make your horse do something essentially right away rather than picking away at the problem slowly through behavior modification practices rather than using tools to fix it. And yeah, I got in a lot of dangerous situations. And within like the last three or four years, I've been at my safest because I've been really adapting how I handle horses. And even in situations where I have less control, like when I was galloping at the racetrack, obviously I can't control those horses' management practices or like how they're trained in a lot of ways. I can just control how I ride them and their experience when they're out on the track with me. So that was the place where I'd have the highest instance of stress behaviors, which is understandable because the horses are stalled so much. And even then, like, as I started to soften my methods and be less reactive and less defensive as a rider and more about trying to address the underlying cause of the issues, I was safer on the racetrack too. So I still had reactions, but I was able to hold my own in situations that could have been very, very dangerous. Uh, for example, the last time I was at the racetrack, this is again a good example of grittiness and why you shouldn't trust people that are putting you in situations just because they're older than you or that they're a trainer or so on and so forth. Um, but I was galloping at the racetrack and I was riding this horse who's like this really nice, young, big three-year-old liver chestnut gelding and like big, like 17 hands. Um, and I'd been riding a few horses for this trainer and on almost every single horse, the saddles were slipping back because he had older girths and he wasn't using equipment that properly fit them. And it just wasn't having like any like non-slip pads, which the horses clearly needed, or even like a chamois on the girth to make it less likely to slip or a breastplate, like literally anything. So I brought this up to him several times and I was like, can you please put like a no slip pad under the saddle or a breastplate? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so... Uh, the horse didn't have a breastplate on and I was kind of like, okay, like, um, I'm guessing he put a no slip pad on. So I just got on the horse and like, I had been cranking the girth up as tight as I could get it without like d completely ruining the horse's life because of how the, the saddles had been sliding. Um, so it wasn't due to me not doing up the girth, but anyways, we got out there. The horse was being a bit difficult. He reared up, um, like when we were just passing the gap and like went straight up and I was like, okay, this is not great. <laughs> um, and then he came back down and I just wanted to get him moving forward so that he didn't feel like he was getting like compressed. Um, and we did like one lap and then by the time we got back around to the gap, my saddle was sliding so much that I actually lost my saddle pads. And then we were going down the long side and we were going to be going and rounding the corner to go down the wire. And I was like, oh, fuck, like I have no girth basically now because I just lost like three inches of saddle pads. So the saddle was like hanging there and would fall to the side easily if I wasn't balancing it with my body. And if the horse went into the wire, he would pick up space and I had nothing, like I had no means of really 
slowing him down because I couldn't pull or brace in the way that you're supposed to on racehorses because the saddle would move. Um, so I was like, oh fuck, like this is where I die. Like this could be really bad because if he picks up speed around the corner, the saddle could slide and then I could end up underneath of him. And I was just kind of like debating what to do because I was like, if I jump off of him, then we have a horse who's going to be running around with a loose saddle. Uh, and I was, yeah, debating my options, trying to slow him down and pull him up and he didn't want to pull up. And I like had no, um, leverage to really do that because of the saddle being so loose. Um, Luckily, the outrider came and saved my life and brought me back to the barn. And then the trainer, of course, blamed me and said it was because I didn't do my girth up, despite the fact that I told him several times that he needed better equipment for his horses. Um, and it was a situation that I could have been in a lot of danger in. So that's the part that irritates me the most is that it's a situation that really endangered me and it impacted me the most. And then he made it about himself and blaming me to let himself off the hook. And I think that is a really good example of how ingrained this mindset is because trainers and like instructors and people you work for alike will put you in dangerous situations like even when you're just handling the horses on the ground and then when you end up not being able to like come through in those situations and avoid the mistakes that they're setting you up to make they then blame you so it's like the same thing with horses who are like stalled too much or haven't been taught how to handle their anxiety in a productive way, always needing to be led around in like chains or lip chains. And then if you're working with these horses, in theory, one day, one of them could pull away and bolt from you and get loose. And if they have a lip chain on and they're stepping all over their lead rope, they could destroy the shit out of their gums and their mouth. And I can almost guarantee you that in a lot of those cases, the person in charge would end up blaming you for letting go of the horse rather than taking responsibility for the situation that they've put the horse in that set up this thing to happen in the first place because it's not the person's fault if a if a scared horse like this big animal gets away from them and then hurts themselves because of the aversive equipment that they have been told to use on that horse so anytime you're using harsh equipment or like certain types of bits or anything that is like harsher and that you're well aware of, you should do so knowing that the risk is if your horse ever gets loose in it, they're going to destroy their mouth way worse than they would with any other type of bit and that that's the risk that you run and that you, you're causing them discomfort by using it on a good day as well. So I think that's what everyone needs to take responsibility for because the equipment you need to use on your horse is a direct result of their training. There is no horse that on this planet that comes out of the womb needing a really, really harsh bit. It is all about training. You train and you create the horse that you're riding. So if the horse that you're riding needs a lot of equipment, then that's something that the trainers and the riders need to take accountability for. It is a direct result of you. And I know this for a fact because the amount of horses I've had that have come into me being ridden in twisted wire bits and all sorts of harsh bidding get-ups that I've immediately switched to a snaffle and never ever had problems with is far exceeds any ones that I've like had that have come in as bolters or horses with clear issues that are like the that are like the quote-unquote result of why their people chose harsher equipment like I've gotten in so many horses who've been ridden in harsh equipment that I've immediately swapped and had no issue with because of how I handle and train them and that it's about like actually training the reason why they're heavy on the bit or strong or yeah 
so on and so forth. Whatever reason necessitated in the person's eyes, the equipment that they use. I've had a lot of horses and none of them I've ever needed to continue using a harsh bit on. Um, on top of this, like with galloping a lot of racehorses, like the amount of horses that I've sat on because of working at the racetrack is way higher than it would be if I was doing less because I could get on like 14 horses in a day at the racetrack. So, there's a lot of racehorses that I know very well and that I galloped at the track and I know what they were like and I know how they behaved when they were stalled 24-7 at the racetrack um, and when I was galloping them that I then see go on to new homes and immediately get put in harsher equipment and I'm like, what the hell? I galloped this horse in a snaffle when it was stalled 24-7 and now it is turned out and it is needing harsher equipment when in theory its behavior should be a lot more relaxed. And generally speaking, from my experience, especially with the off-the-track thoroughbreds, it's directly related to people not actually knowing how to properly restart them and not actually going at the pace that the horse needs and not factoring in the immense difference in muscle use usage and, like, the difference in what you're asking them to do. And then when the horse doesn't respond properly because they don't know what they're being asked, the person thinks that they need more equipment because they're having difficulties with them, when really the difficulty is the result of the training program, not the horse. And if horse people took more accountability for their actions and took more responsibility for how they create reactions in horses, we wouldn't run into all these problems and it would be a lot more fair to the horse because they'd be getting listened to and they'd not be getting blamed for so many of their behaviors. Like, we always say never blame the horse, but like, anytime you adapt equipment with the purpose of it being harsher or with the purpose of using something to help. I use that lightly because people say that it helps where like they'll be like, oh, draw reins, help them find the right frame. And it's like, no, like helping is like you guiding them to that lightly while it's their choice to actually do it, not leveraging them downwards with a pulley system. But yeah, they'll use stuff like that and say, oh, it helps with this. But it's like, no, like the only thing it's helping is your impatience because you're trying to push on and move faster than what the horse is ready for. Horses take time to build muscle. They take time to adapt to new programs. Putting on a bit or a certain gadget to try to make this happen faster doesn't change what's going on inside of their body and their mind mentally. All it is doing is trying to force them to be configured in a position that they don't want to be in and that you can't get them in without leveraging some form of harsher equipment. It's not the horse's choice, but we frequently use the horse as a reason to justify the equipment that is used because it'll be like, oh, my horse is crazy, my horse is too strong, my horse is this, my horse is that. And basically every justification you hear is blaming the horse. Seldom will you ever hear a rider go, I'm using this piece of equipment, this harsher bit, because I cannot hold my horse back and they are too strong for me, so I'm using this as a band-aid to make up for that fact. You'll very rarely ever hear that when 90% of the time that will actually be the real reason is because of the rider and their personal desires, nothing to actually do with the horse because the horse being developed slowly and not being forced into certain positions is what is in the horse's best interest because they don't like being forced into specific head positions or having contraptions in their mouth that hurt them. They don't. 
It's not in their best interest to do that, which is why people should work to avoid that and why we should undo the mindset that enables a lot of this stuff because it's dangerous to people, it's dangerous to horses, and it impacts the horse welfare a lot. And we know these things now and we've been able to track and record them through research and still it's not being taken seriously as it should. And like the grittiness feeds into all of this because it's encouraging people to continue putting themselves in dangerous situations, situations that might scare them and then necessitate in their eyes the use of the equipment that they use next. But it's never actually teaching them the skills to properly adapt and learn how to cope with their horse and help their horse along um, properly in a way that's low stress for both of them. It doesn't actually teach them skills. It's just about, yeah, kind of kicking them out and be like, okay, kick on and just carry on basically. And it's endangering horses and people. Like, we know this. We know for a fact that stressed horses are more dangerous. And all of us can even attest to that for, with anecdotes. A horse who is frightened of something is more likely to react unpredictably and dangerously and in, and in a way that's out of character than a horse who is calm. It's way more dangerous. Like, if they really tracked this, like, this is totally me talking out of my ass right now because there's no study on this, but if they really tracked this, I bet you would see more injuries from people wearing helmets and, like, all of the safety equipment on traditionally trained horses than people not wearing helmets when they do groundwork or, like, riding on positive reinforcement trained horses who've been done so properly because you'd probably have less severe reactions that would unseat the person and cause them to injure themselves despite the lack of safety equipment. Now, this is not to say don't wear a helmet, but, like, even with a helmet, when I'm handling certain types of horses in situations that are high stress and the horses are basically, like, a loaded gun ready to explode at any point, when I'm doing stuff like that, I feel a lot less safe even with uh, with wearing full equipment. Like, even with, like, hot walking horses at the racetrack, a lot of those people doing that should probably be wearing a helmet because there's horses who will be doing airs above the ground and firing out with them, and all it takes is one well-placed kick for you to, like, either not be here anymore or have permanent brain damage. And it, like, so, by ch and also if you change the management, it would address all those behaviors, but... That aside, so it's dangerous and we could make this sport way safer if we stopped with this mindset. Like, it's not cool to endanger yourself. It's not cool to ride through injury. It's not cool to have a horse that's so chronically stressed that they're always freaking out. It's not cool to need harsher equipment that causes your horse more discomfort uh, just because it's a more complicated setup and requires you to be maybe more thoughtful with your hands. It's not cool for any of that. And even if you are thoughtful with your hands in a harsher bit, what you have to factor in is that your hands have to be so soft that they're making up for the harsh mechanics of the bit and in most cases that's not the case especially when you're riding with any form of contact so even if you have the softest hands in the world if you're using a bit that is inherently sharp and uncomfortable it doesn't really matter so this mindset's just so weird and like it's used to continuously endanger people and even like even with like professionals and trainers and programs it can be used by clients to try to intimidate them into going into situations that they're not comfortable with. Like, when I was starting out, there was a horse that really, really hurt me, and it was, like, one of the 
only times I've ever not been able to get up right away after a fall, which is, like, huge because one of the things is, like, when I fall off, I'm, like, right back on my feet immediately, like, ready to go catch the horse and ready to go, like, yeah, handle the situation so it doesn't get worse. And that's just something I always do. So if I ever stay down, it's pretty severe. Um, and anyways, this was a horse that I was working with and, again, stalled way too much, so already way too stressed. Young horse had had a bunch of time off but had been started, um, and the person was, like, insistent, like, oh, yeah, this horse is great. He has no problems. He's never set a foot wrong. So I did a couple days of groundwork with him, lunging him and, like, getting him exercise because I knew, like, he's not been out. He doesn't get turned out enough, so this horse is probably going to be a little loopy even if he is a good boy. Um, and then the day that I decided to get on, they were, like, holding him for me. I got on him, literally took one step, and he hogged it so hard that I left a crater in the arena footing, um, on my, like, with my hip, and then he went around bronking until the saddle came off, and I started to get up, and then I had to take a knee because I was in so much pain, and, like, I almost threw up from the pain, um, and then I, like, just sat there taking a knee because I tried to stand up, and then I just couldn't because it hurt too much, uh, and that's a situation that, like, I could have broken my back. I could have really injured myself. I could have had a permanent injury, and the client wasn't particularly concerned about me. They didn't give a shit, and they also were the one who put me in that situation, and, like, yes, as an adult who is capable of making my own decisions, I should have said no and I should have never agreed to do it on their terms or on their timeline because um, that would have protected myself. But with that said, like, it's all part of this mindset because it causes you to, like, yeah, feed into the, the whole, oh, just get on and just ride them through it, just kick on and ride through it and, like, yeah, you can handle it if they spook and, like, yeah, just deal with it and ride through it until they're tired and then they can't react anymore. And that was kind of the same mindset that I was applying in this situation and it did me very dirty and I could have gotten really, really hurt and I'm lucky I didn't get hurt worse, and it's just such an unnecessary thing because the horse would have also had a way more productive training session if it hadn't gotten to that high level of stress in the first place because that didn't do the horse any favors, and it's just dangerous. Like, having horses that are that explosive like that and having people who just want you to get on them and just kick on, it's so dangerous. You can address the problems, I would argue, better from the ground, and you can cause the horse less stress and also not endanger yourself. So we really need to stop valuing risk-taking behaviors as like the be-all and end-all of what makes a good rider because honestly the riders that are taking risks and trying to flex that like usually their priorities are skewed because they're not as concerned about how their horse is reacting or how like having constant stress or big explosions could impact their horse and their horse's soundness. Um, and they're also not thinking about safety or trying to set a good example for that either because they're more concerned about flexing, like, look at how many crazy horses I ride. And that's not really what good horsemanship is about because good horsemanship should factor in the horse and their feelings and we shouldn't be glorifying the idea of, like, explosive, dangerous horses. It's not safe and it encourages people to ride through injuries or put themselves in situations that are not safe and that could cause them real injury and, people who do continuously put themselves in those situations like I have done over the years and have gotten out without any severe injuries are honestly just lucky, very, very lucky. And 
it it shouldn't be used to justify the risk-taking mindset because it's just not safe. Um, and, like, I have another instance where I got pretty hurt, and this is honestly probably my worst injury in terms of, like, the damage that it did, and I know I didn't handle it properly um, in terms of how you're supposed to do concussion protocol, but this was in a situation where I would have never really been wearing a helmet, and it kind of just made me think about, like, yeah, like, you should always be on your toes and mindful of what's going on and just aware of how dangerous horses can be and that there's no shame in wearing safety equipment on the ground because that's another thing I've seen people do is make fun of people for wearing helmets or safety equipment on the ground um and if it keeps you safer do it like do it if you yeah it's not a bad idea at all we shouldn't be mocking people for taking safety precautions and being careful um but yeah I wasn't wearing a helmet because I was just doing like paddock chores and then was getting ready to bring horses out and load them in the trailer to move them. It was when I was moving Harlow and Betty to their winter pasture, uh, and I was by myself, and I was just about to, like, open the gate, and they'd followed me to the gate, and both of them were there, and then I guess one of them bit the other's bum, or they got into a little bit of a squabble, and whoever was in front of the other, like, surged into me and body-checked me with their chest, and I fell backwards and clocked my head on the, like, my, the back of my head on the wooden fence so hard that like I saw stars and at this point I'd never had a concussion but as soon as like I hit the ground I was like that was a concussion for sure and I like I just knew that I was concussed um and I felt like shit my head was screaming and I was just like not doing well at all um it wasn't good. I threw up after, uh, which is bad. So it, it was really dangerous and not safe. And in a situation like that, like if I, a lot of people would be trying to pressure me into riding their horses and like, I would have had trainers that would have tried to pressure me into riding anyways. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's really bad. Like head injuries are really bad. Like that has costed, that cost me some lasting issues. I definitely say it's impacted my memory at least to a degree. I healed like pretty well from that considering, but like for like the first few days after I was sleeping like 15 hour days and like I couldn't read because it would be too blurry and um, I was just not feeling well. Like I felt like shit and I was so tired all the time. Like I was sleeping almost constantly and I couldn't get through like I could only work for like a couple of hours a day when I did try to work and again like obviously working's not a good idea from like a health perspective but the reason I did it is because I needed the money so I did work and yeah it's just not safe and like glorifying putting yourself in dangerous situations doesn't need to happen why don't we start glorifying people who train horses so well that they're not in as much danger and that they like create safe horses who are well adjusted and less likely to have these really big dangerous reactions and glorify that type of training because that's actually what good training is is like mitigating risk while still having well-trained horses and those are the people that are honestly the most deserving of respect but they never get it and they also typically don't get as much attention online because good training is less exciting to watch. You don't get to watch a horse frantically flailing around while someone is strapped to their back, staying on somehow. It's less exciting. So that's why it gets less hits and people are less interested in it. And also when you have such a huge demographic of people that is like insistent on the notion that like horses are just like this and that there's no way they could have avoided certain things or that some horses just need certain equipment to be handled and that they're just difficult. Um, 
that mindset is like it's perpetuated by so many people that like the amount of people within that group believing it, it is used as a reason for why this is the truth because there's like more of them that kind of have that mindset than not so people even people who are like using science-based training methods and have changed their mindset they're less likely to be listened to no matter how much proof they have because there is such a loud majority that is just refusing to believe some of the major issues that we have in the horse world, which is really concerning. Because, like I said, this is endangering, like, kids, adults, everyone that works with horses. This mindset endangers them. But the kids are the most impressionable, and they're the ones that are the most likely to idolize people blindly and not have the same foresight as, like, an adult with experience. And even just for them, we need to kind of start to change how we think about things and how we talk about things and the mindset in the horse world because it's just like why why are we making it like a badge of honor to have stressed horses and ride through dangerous situations having a good seat is great and if you can do it in situations where it just happens great but we shouldn't be normalizing high levels of stress happening on a consistent basis around horses when we know that there's a lot of things we could use to avoid those types of situations and make them a lot safer um and even when they happen it shouldn't be about like oh look at how great I am for dealing with this rank horse. It should be about, oh, this horse had a flight reaction and was sent over threshold. So now I'm working on bringing them back down and I'm going to work on how we can try to make this less likely to reoccur in the future for safety purposes and also for the horse's well-being because you don't want them freaking out all the time. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know how people can bear, like, having a horse that they can't, like, hack out on trails if they want to or that they can't walk around on a loose rein because the thing is so damn stressed that it jigs the whole time. And obviously that can happen sometimes. I've had horses do that in high-stress situations even if they're not typically like that. But I know a lot of riders who have horses who are just, like, always like that and always difficult to handle and they'll just be like, oh, they're just like that. They're just quirky. And they just accept it and use whatever they can to cover it up and, like, muscle the horse around to the best of their ability. But it's, like, why are you accepting this as a normal when it's something that you can address and you'll be able to enjoy the horse more as a result? Like, there's ways most riders with horses that are struggling can immediately better the lives of their horses without changing very much. Um, It just requires using your brain to, like, at least go, like, okay, is there a better way of doing this? Could some of the things I've been taught be wrong? And just, like, exploring that rather than just, like, doing the whole weird, like, us versus them mentality where when people talk about, like, for example, when I talk about things like this, people will be like, oh, you're calling, like, everything abusive and da 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 It's like, no, I'm talking about the state of the horse world, how it's a problem and why we need to address it. It's not about you. It's not about calling you an abuser or attacking you. It's about talking about a pervasive issue that a lot of people are a part of and a lot of people uphold. So, We need to stop taking it so personally. We need to stop viewing, like, talk about equine welfare and discussion on certain types of bits and gadgets as personal attacks and instead view it as discussion on the equipment. Because just because you use a piece of equipment that I don't like and that I condemn the mechanics of doesn't mean I'm talking shit about you. I'm talking about the equipment and if you're choosing to apply that to yourself, even though in your head you think you're using it correctly, then that's a choice on your part. It has nothing to do with me. I can't control what people apply to themselves. But also, the mechanics of equipment don't change. If you have the same bit 
as like as a bit that is being criticized due to the mechanics of it, provided the assessment of the mechanics is correct. No matter how you use your hands, the bit mechanics will work and function how they are intended to. Same with any gadget. They will function as they are intended to. So if you get offended by people accurately portraying the mechanics and the physics of certain gadgets that you use and you take it personally and view it as them calling them abusive because of how they've described the correct mechanics of the bit, what that means is you're experiencing internalized guilt and conflict because you are aware that there might be some truth to what they're saying regarding the mechanics and you don't want to believe it. So instead, you're going to try to project and make it out to be like you're being bullied or attacked or try to undermine the credibility of whoever is putting out the information rather than taking in the information. And also, like, even if you use equipment that's, like, different than someone like me uses now, like, being mindful of how your equipment works and being honest with yourself and being aware of it and also being aware of the fact that it's completely possible to bit a horse down even after they've been ridden in harsh equipment. It's completely possible. And honestly, in a lot of cases, horses are better in softer equipment than they are in harsh equipment because it hurts them less and they're less likely to react because they're less stressed. So with all that in mind, it's just like just be open-minded and consider the fact that there's a better way of doing things. And we also just need higher standards across the board so that people aren't as enabled in engaging in these mindsets. But it is not cool to endanger yourself. It's not cool to stress out horses unnecessarily when you could do things nicer in a more fair way. And it's not cool to get on horses when you are injured and, like, use it as some type of flex. Nor is it cool to flex how many times you've fallen off or use that as a badge of honor and, like, imply that you need to fall off in order to be a real rider. Um, like, I'd say learning how to fall off safely, yes, that is part of being a rider because odds are if you're riding, you will fall off at some point. Um, odds are. But you don't need to fall off a horse to be a real rider. Like, I'd say the real riders are the ones who are factoring the horse's feelings in more and are caring more about, like, that development and not rushing them as much. But, yeah, that's my, that's my piece on grittiness and why we need to sway away from that mindset and why it shouldn't be used as an indicator of talent in horse people because it's just used to justify a whole bunch of impatient practices and also justify people deliberately endangering themselves in completely unnecessary circumstances when they could accomplish what they're trying to in a much more safe way that is more fair to the horse as well. So it's just unnecessary. We don't need to do this. We can do better. Can we please start to perpetuate a more healthy mindset in the horse world? Because it's necessary. And like, believe me when I say this, regardless of like, if anyone agrees with everything I say or not, or if you're just listening to this because you hate my guts and you just want to like hate follow me, all the power to you. But if you care about the horse world and you want it to thrive and continue succeeding, you need to care about the social license to operate. And as it stands now, you're going to have a very hard time arguing to other horse people about why a lip chain or like a harsh gag bit is fair to use on a horse. Because a lot of people outside of the horse world don't like any bits, let alone ones that are like intentionally created to leverage discomfort for control. And they're not going to care that 
the majority of your pals also agree with you. In fact, that will be used as a reason to cancel the horse world even more because they'll be like, holy shit, they're all like this. There's no saving them. So if you actually value the horse world and you want to keep doing what you're doing and you want competition to keep existing, then we do need to have better welfare practice. Otherwise, it's going to be its own undoing because very few regular human beings think it's acceptable to use a lot of the equipment that we normalize in the horse world. They think it's bad. Like the, the chain around the nose and like the lip chain thing and a lot of harsh bits and like how we punish horses heavily and how people don't use rewards-based methods typically. That blows the minds of so many people who are so far removed from the horse world that they just assumed that horses were trained similarly to dogs with positive reinforcement and don't know all of the practices that are used to try to force horses to do things. Um, they don't like it. It doesn't reflect well on them and you're very unlikely to get the majority of those types of people on your side and the horse world's also shifting. So if you want to continue doing what you're doing and enjoying horses in the way that you have been, it's time to kind of start, yeah, compromising and meeting in the middle and understanding that if we continue to carry on this way and continue to carry on like we don't care or don't value science or that we just don't want to consider softening training at all and we think it's impossible and you're just highlighting that for the world to see and letting everyone see your behavior, all you're doing is further reaffirming the idea that horse people don't care enough about their horses to reconsider practices and start to modernize the industry and start to have better welfare standards. And the more people that kind of brush it off or laugh it off or mock people who are pushing for better welfare standards, the less we look like we care about horses. So the louder you guys are and the more all these types of people talk and fight against modernizing the horse world and fight against legitimate welfare discussion, all that is doing is showing to the masses that horse people don't care and that they're more concerned about their own preferences and what they are doing than they are about how anything may impact horses. Because there are way too many people in the horse world who will deliberately argue against science and ignore science and not want to take in any of the information that we have out here now, showing why we need to make some adaptations to management and training of horses. It will be our undoing. I stand by that. And honestly, if people are going to be this stubborn to fix it, then they deserve to have the competition world taken away from them. If they're going to be so set in their ways that they would rather lose the industry as a whole, then adapt it to be kinder for the horses and make some change to practices that will end up benefiting them in all honesty because happier horses are easier and safer to deal with. So it's like you're actually going to end up liking it if you start to adapt and have better practices for your horses because they'll like you more and it'll just be easier to coexist with them. But yeah, if, if they're that stubborn that they don't want to see any change and they'd rather risk losing the industry as a whole and losing all respect from the public uh, and have that pressure on us to have the industry closed, then yeah, by all means, die with the industry. Like, on, like die, die on your hill with the industry because it's going to kill the industry if we don't start looking like we care about equine welfare and if we don't start looking like we care about modernizing. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of the equipment that we use on horses is not kind and it's used to leverage discomfort to control them. And that's just a fact. No one's going to like a chain against their gums. No one's going to like a twisted wire bit against their gums. No one's going to like a, a chain against their nose even. And when you're consistently using these things 
to cover up training issues instead of actually addressing the underlying issue. That's the problem. It's not the equipment itself necessarily. It's the fact that it's justified and used and enabled on such a mass level repeatedly throughout the course of a horse's entire life rather than addressing the issues that necessitate the use of the equipment in the eyes of the people handling the horse. And yeah, we need to change that. Otherwise, we are going down. I'm yelling timber because the horse world's going to go under. I... I, I reach a lot of people on these platforms and also I talk to a lot of non-horse people because most of the people I hang out with on a regular basis aren't necessarily horsey when I'm hanging outside of the barn stuff. So it's fascinating to ask them about things and show them things and get their views. And I've yet to meet a single person outside of the horse world that looks at shit like lip chains or some of the common bits we see in barrel racing or show jumping goes, oh yeah, that's totally fine. I see no problem with that. So yeah. It will be our undoing, so it's up to us as a community to decide whether or not we're going to open the discussion for welfare and actually start to modernize, or whether we want to dig our heels in, stick in our ways, even though it impacts horses negatively and will end up impacting the industry negatively. That's the options, because it's not even about agreeing completely with someone who is way more progressive than you are. It's about having the discussion being open to the discussion and like talking amongst everyone to find some form of compromise and find the best way to approach this. But so many of the people that are within this gritty mindset and within the traditional mindset don't even want to have the discussion. They want to shut down any sharing of information that upsets them. They want to shut down any sharing of mindsets that upset them and make them feel bad. They just, they would just rather pretend it's not a problem and not learn anything than potentially better their horsemanship and learn something, even if it's difficult to do. And there's way too many people like that. And it's really concerning because it's not even just that they're stuck in their ways. They're so stuck in their ways that they don't even want to see other people talking about other ways of doing things because it threatens them. They don't even want to see people sharing information that criticizes their way of doing things, even if they're not being replied to or and it's not directed at them. They don't want to see any of it. They just want to silence it and not have it passed around, which honestly, like, in my opinion, if these people actually thought that the whole science-based training stuff and the stuff we've learned about horse behavior it was incorrect, they wouldn't be so committed to trying to silence people from sharing it because they wouldn't be concerned about it because it's not going to catch fire and have people believe it then if it's just a load of shit. But there's got to be some type of knowledge within them where they know that there is a problem and that's what they're trying to cover up for. So anyways, that is my piece Thank you for listening, and um, we're going to be filming a podcast with Mad Barn tomorrow regarding alternatives to hay, because uh, there's been a bunch of hay shortages. The weather here has been super weird. No one's been able to cut. It's already June. Usually, the first cut would have been done, like, over a month ago, uh, because it would be dry, but we've not had enough dryness for people to hay their fields, so there's a massive hay shortage here, and there already was, because we had a drought last summer. Um, so that's why we're doing that, because I think that it's going to become a problem and continue getting worse. So, yeah, happy days. So anyways, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out my pages, check out my Patreon, um, my Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all that jazz, and also the shopmilestoneequestrian.com website, 10% off with code Milo, uh, 10% off with code Milo also on amoreequestrian.ca on the Milestone products. So that's A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca. 
with the milestone page. So you just click on the little milestone tab and that's all my stuff. You can shop the apparel, the bridles, the saddle pads and all that stuff. So I highly recommend checking it out. We're trying to move products so that we can not hurt as much from the whole vet endeavor because like $10,000 of vet bills within the course of like a couple of months is just too much. It's really shitty. So yeah, check out my stuff if you're interested. You can also subscribe to my Patreon if you want access to behind the scenes stuff and all that jazz. Patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. So check all that out. I'll leave the links down below in the description. Thank you for listening and I hope everyone has a great day.